Illusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exotic. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> G'day and welcome to Diffusion, the number one science podcast of 2006, at least we think so around here, coming to you from Sydney through your radio or through your MP3 player. And it's our final edition for 2006, so today we're going to forego news and have a little chat about some of the science stories that made people laugh and made people cry in 2006. I'm Mark West, and today we're going to have a chat about the best science Christmas presents with Chris Stewart, and also the most fatal with our panel of experts, Sasha Stelzer, Ian Wolfe, Catherine B. Hag, and Lachlan Watmore, and also Jackie Hayes on the production panel. So now in July, Pluto got more Google hits than Paris Hilton did. What else was big in science news this year, Sasha? Well, um, from a microbiological perspective, um, I thought that 2006 was the year of the pandemic that we had to have that didn't actually happen. The bird flu? Yes, <laughs> bird flu. Um, so it spread from wild birds to poultry and was sort of um, all, all through Europe and Asia. And um, there was a couple of unsustained human-to-human transmission, but, um, but nothing sort of too serious at the moment. And um, a couple of scientists in the US also thought that it was a good idea to recreate the 1918 flu as well and use that to infect some mice. Recreate so, the 1918 yeah, flu? Yeah, the Spanish flu, the one that killed 50 million people. What else made the news in microbiology? Um, so the other thing that I thought was pretty big was that Professor Ian Fraser from the University of Queensland was named Australia of the, Australian of the Year in January 2006 for his work towards the development of a vaccine against human papillomavirus, which causes cervical cancer. So that's pretty big. I heard some recent news that they also thought the HPV virus, which the vaccine was made for, might also cause breast cancer. Mm-hmm. So if you get the cervical cancer vaccine, yeah. then it could also protect against breast cancer. So I wonder if we should all be getting vaccinated then, not just younger, well, probably not, not just girls. the Probably kids. not just Ian and myself. No, <laughs> I mean, because they're, public they're, targeting, um, <laughs> they're targeting young girls, sort of 10 to 12. A few months ago, some of you might remember, I did a bit of a feature on Google Trends, which is this latest thing out of Google, google.com slash trends. Didn't you find at the time that Paris Hilton was very well searched? I did. So I went I went on Google Trends and I searched Paris Hilton nude versus Britney Spears nude versus some other people nude and found that Paris Hilton was, in fact, the most popular nude search. Was on, that Google Images? Yeah. Not, I, no, not Google Images. Yeah, I use Google Trends to do that search. Yeah, <laughs> Trends. Yeah. Very funny. So I've done the same thing to sum up what I thought were the biggest stories in 2006 in science, and I've actually compared them to Paris Hilton. So you can type in a whole bunch of terms in Google. I've done Paris Hilton versus global warming versus Pluto, versus NASA, versus cloning. Now, Paris Hilton was still the most popular by far. But, interestingly enough, there was a huge spike in Pluto, as Mark mentioned earlier, in July 2006, when Pluto was demoted and Pluto became more popular than Paris Hilton. Big news for Pluto. Big news for Pluto. Um, The video that did it. (laughs) I don't know how that got onto the web. <laughs> um, 
Anyway, the <laughs> global warming also has done quite well. Not around the world. It's, it's still not that popular around the world. But in Australia, global warming since October has really taken off and it's actually become more popular than Paris Hilton as well. And well, I, think, I think we have Al Gore to thank for that. And probably also we're having the nuclear debate and all the energy crisis over here. It's a really big and uh, the drought. issue in Australia. The and drought the drought is a huge issue, yeah. One other thing I looked at was the Neanderthals, ah, yes. whose genome was uh, recently sequenced, or large parts of it. It didn't really even make the graph against Paris Hilton, so ah, I decided right. I decided to uh, search it against something that perhaps wasn't as popular as Paris Hilton. So I searched it against Bush naked. Surprisingly <laughs> enough, <laughs> surprisingly enough, it was much more popular than Bush naked, mm. unless. You're from San Francisco or LA, where Bush Naked got an incredible amount of hits. They're very flamboyant towns down there, aren't they? You're listening to Diffusion, the number one science podcast of 2006. Drop us an email at diffusion at 2SCR.com with any feedback, with any comments, or just to say hi. Gene therapy offers us the chance to swap out genes that tell our body to be diabetic for genes from a healthy body. Ian Wolfe explores what it might be like to use this technology to change just about any genes we don't like for new ones that we like better. Scraping away facial hair every morning is a ritual men in most of the world go through every day if they don't want to grow a beard. However, some communities of Native Americans and Native Canadians are populated with men who have eyebrows but no beards or moustaches. They are manly men who just don't need to shave to choose to be beardless. The skin on their chin has genes that don't react to testosterone in their blood and don't tell it to grow beard and moustache hair. They have the same levels of testosterone as bearded men. If I were a genetic engineer... I could use this information to relieve men of the chore of shaving away their unwanted beards. If you put those beardless genes into a limited virus and apply this therapeutic virus to your face, then it would replace the beard genes for the beardless genes in a controlled way. The virus could be instructed to stay alive just long enough to convert the genes in the facial skin to be beardless, and then stop. No more morning scraping of the face. But wait, what if you change your mind and you would like to grow a beard or a moustache sometime later? Well, then you just apply a recombinant virus containing the bearded gene to your face, and your beard would start growing again. Of course, you have to take into account the market forces. Naturally, men won't want to wait for nature to take its course. There'll be a demand for fast beard growth. So you'd apply some extra gene tweaking to make sure the beard-growing skin didn't require testosterone, but just grew hair fast, for long enough for a beard. You could apply the viral lotion at night and wake up the next morning with a full beard or moustache. Of course, there may be mistakes. People may look back on my invention the decades ahead and speak of the Great Beard Plague. If the virus mutated into a contagious form, then women and children may wake up the next morning with a beard. Bearded babies. Beards as far as the eye could see on every face. The cure would be the application of the original beardless gene viral lotion. If the founder hasn't been lynched or put in jail, he could make lots of money. If you'd like to donate money for the development of Ian's beard removal lotion so you never have to shave again, and this means you girls, contact us at <laughs> diffusion at 2 Hey, Mark, 
Aren't mm. you one of those people who has a little bit of a baby cheek who can't grow facial hair? You saw me during Movember and I was all man. Sasha, first time I met you, I had a, a, a goatee. What do you yes. think? Better now or before? Um, I like the clean shaven look personally. It's fantastic that's for a, women. Mm. You know, your bikini line, you don't have to get it waxed. Yeah, that's a good spend point. You that money. It's fantastic. I'm donating. That was The False Contender by Camera Obscura. It's the silly season.
which for many people means trawling through the malls and hypermarkets for presents to delight and entertain our nearest and dearest. But if you're close to giving up trying to find that perfect gift for your favourite geek, stick around. Up next is our favourite geek, Chris Stewart, with the Diffusion Gift Guide. Yes, it's that time of year again, folks, when everyone on the planet seems to be running around madly buying the best gifts that they can possibly find for the loved ones in their lives. But what happens if that special loved one in your life is a scientist? What do you give to a person who prefers to spend most of their days peering down the microscope or scribbling arcane equations on the paper trying to unlock the secrets of the universe? Well, never fear, because... In the next couple of minutes, you can take a listen to the Diffusion Gift Guide. We've scoured the world's web space to see if we can find the best gifts for the propeller head or boffin in your life. So to start off with, if your favourite geek is a biologist or an ecologist, then why not give them something alive? First cab off the rank from the Fruit Salad Tree Company, which is in New South Wales, Australia, you can buy a tree which hasn't just got one type of fruit on it, it's got many different types of fruit on it. We can start with the stone fruit tree, which grows on the same trunk. Peaches, plums, nectarines, apricots, and a type of fruit I've never heard of before, a peachicot. These are all grafted together onto the one trunk, one set of roots down into the soil, but all those different kinds of yummy stone fruit. There's the citrus tree, which grows oranges, mandarins, lemons, limes, grapefruits, tangelos, and pomelos, all on the one tree. Now, it wouldn't be this time of year without thinking about novelty gifts. But instead of giving just a pair of, say, boxer shorts or a tie, why not give a scientifically themed pair of boxer shorts or a tie? For example, you can get boxer shorts which have got scientific themes like, say, bacteria. You can get boxer shorts with gonorrhea emblazoned on them. Not the word, but the actual little bacteria themselves. You can get boxer shorts with dust mites on them, little pictures of the dust mites, just to drive home that every single bed in the country is pretty much riddled with these little buggers. You can get a tie which has got dental plaque or chlamydia or anthrax. Nothing says I love you like an anthrax tie. But if your sartorially challenged scientist is looking for a new lab coat, perhaps their lab coat's a bit stained, getting a bit nasty, it's been burnt in a few too many lab accidents, why not get them a new lab coat from labrat.com? You can get a lab coat with a cow design on it, or a snow leopard design, guaranteed to turn heads in the lab. If your scientist is a bit of a DNA freak, you can't miss the dnastore.com's Christmas special. Check this out. You get a DNA pin, a chromosome mouse pad, DNA magnet words for magnet poetry, a DNA beaker mug with graduation so you can see exactly how much coffee you're drinking, 12, count them, 12 DNA tattoos, a DNA tie, and a pair of Watson and Crick bobbleheads. That's the DNA store Christmas special. Now, if you have a very small scientist in your life, a little kitty who's in need of some cuddly joy, then why not get them a plush microbe? The website that sells these says, most folks never realise how cute microbes can be when they're expanded one million times and then fashioned into cuddly plush. I'd hazard a guess that that's probably true. You can get a cuddly salmonella virus, 
You can get the plague, head lice, the pox, all in cuddly toy form. You can get the common cold or the flesh-eating disease. You can get HIV, Heliobacter pylori, or common ulcers. You can get beer yeast, all as cuddly toys. For the space nut in your life, if your boffin happens to be enamoured with NASA and everything NASA or outer space, then there are a number of things out there, memorabilia that you can get for them. You can get a cell phone holster, a little pouch for the cell phone that's made out of black cordura nylon, Velcro fastener on the front, but the cover of the flap is made out of parachute material that returned U.S. astronaut Michael Fole and Russian cosmonaut Alexander Kaleri from the International Space Station in April 2004. I doubt it's unique. You could probably make a lot of these things out of a single parachute, but it's out there, and you can get it, and it's real. And if not that, then how about a pair of Apollo lunar overshoes? Now, these things didn't actually make it into space, They were used in training missions at NASA. These are the things that slip over the boots when they're moving from one part of the space station to the other, presumably so that they don't pick up static and short out something important. I'm not sure. And this is an item which actually gets better because they've taken something off it. The soles from these boots are actually still in use today at NASA. They've ripped them off and they've turned them into a special tread that's strapped to the boots of the current space station extravehicular extra vehicular mobility unit. So the soles that aren't attached to these boots make them even more prized. And finally, if you're looking for a bargain Christmas gift for your scientists this year, then why not try the online auction sites for some great Christmas gifts? Just having a brief glance through one of the, the most popular auction sites today, you could get, of course, human skeletons, model of the heart, brains, skulls, telescopes, binoculars, microscopes, But of course, you can also get lab equipment. Why not a lab oven or a stirrer or an incubator? Centrifuges. You can get a radiation screen, all for about $5. And the Oak Ridge National Laboratory, which is a a large uh, institution over in the United States, there is a document titled Development of Processes for Solidification of High-Level Radioactive Waste, Summary for Pot Calcination and Rising-Level Pot Glass Processes. You can buy this 127-page document dated 1966 on eBay. And lastly, but by no means least, if you've got to spare $3,500, buy that scientist in your life a toilet from the Salyut Space Station. It's listed on eBay as new and very, very rare. It's the sound of science. The sound of science. Science. That was Chris Stewart. I hope you received some of those presents this year for Christmas. Now, did you get socks and underwear again for Christmas? Well, you'll be thanking your lucky stars that you didn't get some of the presents we're just about to talk about. Now, we've got a bit of a panel discussion here on the 10 most fatal toys of the 20th century. And joining me will be Lachlan Watmore, Ian Wolfe, Catherine Behag, and Sasha Stelzer. Ian, do you want to kick us off? Sure. This is from Radar Magazine. For example, there's the Snack Time Cabbage Patch Dolls, which said, Feed me on the packaging for the 1996... Cabbage Patch Snack Time Kid. What could possibly go wrong with a doll that has a motorised mouth with teeth? (laughs) Where do you buy this? It sounds like something you'd be buying down at King's Cross, actually. (laughs) With teeth? (laughs) Whatever you like. A local toy shop. (laughs) Now, 
they would stop chewing when snack time was done. They promised. And then they chomped your child's finger off. There's no mechanism to turn them off should any trouble arise. And it was only a matter of time before some long blonde hair got caught in the doll's rabid jaws. After 35 fingers and ponytails fell victim, the snack time kids were removed from retail shelves forever and 500,000 customers were offered a full $40 refund. I've got another one over here. It's a Barbie doll. But the catch is it's on a rocket that flies around and it's been known to cause great pain to the, the kids that got it for Christmas in 1994. The injuries included scratched corneas, temporary blindness, mild concussions, broken ribs and teeth and facial lacerations that required stitches. That's fantastic. I'm imagining Mm. the kids in 1994 getting these gifts and losing their eyes. And then a couple of years later, when the parents think, oh, you've grown into Cabbage Patch dolls now, and you're getting these things to chew your fingers off. This is fantastic. I'm glad I wasn't a girl in the early 90s. Give that that a couple more years, and of course they'll be ready for uh, things on wheels, like bikes and trikes, of course. Uh, the Fisher-Price Power Wheels motorcycle is one of those toys that kids salivate over for years. Of course, everyone wants a powered bike or something. Um, didn't always give a smooth ride. Eager youngsters who gunned the throttle forward often stayed that it, found that it stayed gunned. The uh, uh, carburetor was stuck. The butterfly in the carburetor was obviously stuck open, this thing being a petrol, petrol-powered thing. Hey, I know about these things. Anyway, presumably the child on the motorcycle was then taken on a hellish intestine-twisting scream ride, and at one point he or she would have to face choices such, uh, unthinkable except in an evil Knievel meets Knight Rider crossover episode, like, you know, am I going to make Snake River Canyon with this sort of thing? <laughs> Is it sentient? Can it be reasoned with? That sort of Will thing, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, Well, I think these kids are lucky they weren't born in the 60s. In 1964, Mattel released the Creepy Crawly Thing Maker, Nothing says fun like using an open 150-degree hot plate to create molten rubbery insects that you can throw at your little sister while trying to avoid setting your house on fire. So not only was this hot plate searing 150 degrees, but um, kids that survived the sort of serious injury or disfigurement could then eat their creation, however it was toxic as well. So... (laughs) Back in the 50s, Gilbert introduced his Uranium-238 Atomic Energy Lab, which is a radioactive learning set. He had a dream that nuclear power could capture the imaginations of children everywhere. And for a mere 49.50, the kit came complete with very low-level radioactive sources, a Geiger counter, a Wilson cloud chamber, so you could see where the paths, so you see where the particles went, a spin theroscope to see live radioactive disintegration, four samples of uranium-bearing ores. <laughs> And an electroscope to measure the radioactivity. And it even came with a Learn How Dagwood Splits the Atom comic book, written by the director of the Manhattan Project. If you go to United Nuclear on the net, you can still buy kits like this, only safer. So another one is mini hammocks from Easy Sales. And they sound innocent enough. Mini hammocks sound cool. (laughs) They do sound cool for for babies. Um, In (laughs) August 1996, the product resulted in the fatal and near-fatal asphyxiation of dozens of kids aged 5 to 17. Easy recalled 3 million of them. Among the banned Easy products were Hangouts baby hammocks woven from thin cotton and nylon, nylon strings. Lawn darts, or jarts, were massive weighted spears. You threw them. They stuck where they landed. If they happened to land in your skull, well, then you should have moved. During their brief reign in the 1980s suburbia, jarts racked up 6,700 injuries and four deaths. No one's known to have used jarts for their intended purpose. 
shouldn't be surprising then that an accident involving a wayward spear and a semi-permeable head of a seven-year-old results in the toys being banned from the market in 1988. <laughs> that is so cool. <laughs> I thought that samurai sword my mum gave me was dangerous. <laughs> Well, if you're listening to us now, then clearly you got none of these presents for Christmas. And that's it for Diffusion for today and for 2006. I'm Mark West and I've been privileged to host this final episode with such a tremendous bunch of people. Thanks to Jackie Hayes for producing and Ian Wolfe, Catherine Behag, Chris Stewart and Sasha Stelzer for their wise words. But especially to you, Lachlan Watmore. I'll miss you, mate. I love you, Mark. Catch us on the web at diffusionradio.com where you can also pick up our podcasts and you can email us at diffusion at 2scr.com. We're produced in the studios of 2SCR in Broadway and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. We'll go out to Music Is My Hot Hot Sex by Kansai Desser Sexy, which roughly translates in my Portuguese as I'm tired of being sexy. So I think we can all relate to that. I'll see you all next year. It's been emotional. Drink of